And I mean, like, everyone's trying to tell me their issues, and I'm like, bitch, can you just cue up my drum? Welcome back to Rebel Girls Book Club. I'm Harmony. And I'm Maggie, and we're here to take you on an intersectional feminist approach to books from all over the spectrum. Bestsellers, we've got you covered. That one book from English class you hated while you read it but you can't forget, we've got that too. Comic books, nonfiction, it's all right here. So grab your tea, grab your blanket, and let's get rebellious talking about your new favorite reads. Hello, and welcome to Rebel Girls Book Club. I am Harmony. I'm Maggie. We are talking today about Helene Johnson in our series. I I realized that you originally had a different name and then I named it something else. So I'm not sure what the actual name is, but I've been calling it Bite Size Bits Through the Ages. And I think you named it Through the Decades or something. I don't really give a fuck. <laughs> through the Ages is fine. I, think- I don't like the title anyway. <laughs> <laughs> it's just kind of what happened and now it's stuck. And uh, Yeah, pretty much. Dear listener, Harmony and I are <laughs> recording this at not our normal time of recording, which is why I sound dead inside and she sounds loopy. This is probably going to be the shortest episode of Rebel Girls we've ever done, not because we don't care about Helene Johnson, but because we're just both dead. <laughs> this is how much we care. The fact yeah. that we're recording right now. Yeah. Poor Helene Johnson. She deserved better, though. Did you know actually her name was Helen Johnson, but she went by Helen Johnson because that's what her aunt nicknamed her because they felt like she had a very French sensibility. And then that's just how she published all through her life was as Helene. Oh, that's beautiful. So it's Helene and not Helene? I I think so, because I'm pretty sure Helene is how you say it with like the French accent sort of deal. And it's, yeah. What, What decade are we in right now? We're in 1930, and this is my series, and second episode, I'm already breaking the rules. So, (laughs) we're talking about Helene Johnson today, which is super exciting. She was one of the mothers of the Harlem Renaissance. She was super active all through 1930. It was kind of the height of her career, but I'm not entirely sure that either of the poems we're talking about today were necessarily published in 1930. I just decided it counted because this was like her peak in life before she became a mom so that's awesome that's wonderful so she became a mom and then she retired her poetry or retired you know i think it's kind of up for debate do we want to start with her biography yeah she's got some cool stuff going on so i picked helene johnson because it's black history month and so obviously harmony and i have been if you guys haven't noticed yet focusing on african-american voices but She's one of the mothers of the Harlem Renaissance that I feel like are less talked about. And it's partially because publishing was never really one of her main goals in life. She sort of fell into publishing poetry and to sort of the artistic scene. Her cousin was Dorothy West, the famous author, and they were really close and they went to school together and ended up, I believe, living in New York together for a brief period of time. But all most of the sources that i found say that johnson was really writing from a very personal perspective she was well respected at the time actually she was publishing in lots of pretty Im- like impressive publications like she was in the only edition of fire which was the magazine published by langston hughes or edited by langston hughes but one of her like major goals in life which 
some sources seem to say was like her only goal and other sources take kind of like a more neutral stance on it was to become a mom. So after she got married and she gave birth to her kid, Abigail, she just kind of fell off the scene. Um, So throughout this, Harmony and I are kind of going to be referencing the idea of like what it means to write poetry as personal resistance rather than public resistance and the idea of you know kind of performative identity i would say versus just what you do for yourself to sort of get through the day um so we are we'll probably end up talking more about her life later i have some discussing discussion questions just based on her biography and how we might handle some of those situations if if we were in that position but other than that, we're going to close read some poetry today, which Harmony and I have done a lot together, but not on the podcast. That's true. And I feel like that's a good thing because as I was analyzing this poem, I realized that I don't know how to analyze poetry. I don't think anyone does. It's all just like, <laughs> it's all just faking it until you make it, which in my opinion is also how you write poetry, but. <laughs> I agree. I agree. Who needs form? It's fine. I don't know what a haiku is. It's all good. Okay, do we want to start with your poem or mine? We can start with your poem if you want. Will you read it to us first? Okay, I have the poem. I'm going to try and read it now and try not to fuck it up. Just as a trigger warning, the the poem is called Sonnet to a Negro in Harlem, and I know that that is a kind of strange word that we don't use anymore, but I am going to say it for the sake of the poem because that's the name of it. Okay, so Sonnet to a Negro in Harlem. You're disdainful and magnificent, your perfect body and your pompous gait, your dark eyes flashing solemnly with hate, small wonder that you are incompetent to imitate those who you so despise, your shoulders towering high above the throng, your head thrown back in rich barbaric song, palm trees and mangoes stretched before your eyes, let others toil and sweat for labor's sake, and wring from grasping hands their need of gold. Why urge ahead your supercilious feet? Scorn with a face each footprint that you make. I love your laughter, arrogant and bold. You are too splendid for the city street. I thought that was beautiful. It is beautiful. She's a really, like, good writer. Yeah. That apparently I just had never heard of before I started doing research for this episode. Yeah, I didn't know about it until her, I didn't know about her or her poetry until Maggie showed it to me. I'm not really great at poetry, but yeah, this was beautiful. And I chose this poem because we are talking about a writer from the Harlem Renaissance, and it seems to bring up a lot of themes of... I guess what today we might term like black excellence or like a scornful sort of black excellence. And I thought that it just seemed potent for what we're looking at during the Harlem Renaissance period, because that's Mm -hmm. the first time I can think of in American history in which black people were able to excel and exceed in a thing that like white people weren't completely mad about but they were also kind of mad about they were like wow you're really good at this jazz and we like this jazz but also we're racist bigots i don't know is that a correct analysis i mean i think so i think it's hard because it's about 
I think that the Harlem Renaissance was the first time that white society gave black society any credit is really the thing. Yes. Versus the idea that like black excellence didn't come upon until this time. I think it was more just that that was like acknowledged. Right. Yeah. It was stamped out more prior to this time, which like what Harmony was saying isn't to say that white people didn't try and stamp it out at this time. It just there was a I think a, a much different reception. So now all of a sudden it's viewed as something much different. Although to be fair, I think a lot of artists in the Great Migration that happened sort of, you know, during restoration and uh, the Civil War had similar success, but that's a different episode on a different topic. <laughs> yes. I don't know. I'm not a history buff, but from like my layman's understanding, the Harlem Renaissance is the first time where in history books and in layman's history, you start to see like you start to see black musicians and stuff and they're not completely like they they are given credit is what I mean. Not that there haven't always mm-hmm. been black musicians. But this poem was interesting because I feel like it embodies a lot of stuff that we struggle with today as a society in terms of like how we view black bodies and I don't know. I think the way we look at rap music is really similar to what she seems to be describing here. Like this idea of a proud Black person and a a proud lazy Black person is kind of brought up too. I don't know. There was just a lot to unpack. Yeah. I think that a question that we haven't addressed yet that's really important is who you think the narrator is talking to. Oh, Okay, so for me, that was very obvious. But now that you've asked that question, I realize it might not be. To me, I just thought that she was like, I envisioned the narrator as being like some sort of form of Helene Johnson. And she's on the street and she's watching like this really, I don't know, flamboyant human who I assumed was a man walk by and he's like, He's he's wearing like the the top of the top Richie Rich clothing and people are staring at the him and maybe giving him space and maybe a little bit scared of him. And mm-hmm. um, he's just there and he's like happy and he doesn't care. He's like not going to shun away from the spotlight. And she's watching all this because she's in New York and I'm in New York and this is what I do when I'm in New York, essentially. And she's like, wow, you're beautiful. And she's just penning it down in her little notebook. That's interesting. <laughs> I... I I could see that scenario, but I also interpreted it personally a little bit differently. Okay. I feel like it could be, it almost reads to a certain extent like a pep talk. Like these are like, these are the things that you have to do, right? Like you have to be determined. You have to work hard, but you also have to embrace yourselves, embrace yourself. And like, it's okay to love yourself and put that forward in your art, whether that's talking to herself or to another person person that was kind of how I viewed it a little bit more because it's both admiring and also very I mean in the first line right like it's the subject is disdainful but she is also disdainful to a certain extent of the subject interesting so I didn't read that as her disdain I read that as white disdain specifically or even people who have integrated into like who have self-internalized some sort of idea like I don't deserve to be pompous or I should be like out there toiling away making somebody else richer like even if that's not something you consciously believe I think that I read there's there's a certain level of I think 
conflict happening in this poem because and i see it the most in the lines small wonder that you are incompetent to imitate those whom you so despise your shoulders towering high above the throng your head thrown back in rich barbaric song i kind of think that i don't know well is she okay so that was that line tripped me up too because i wasn't sure if the person she's talking about is imitating like because i let i read this as a very like race i mean i i don't know i guess maybe because i was reading it from a white perspective i was like could they she be could the person be imitating white people or people in power who they despise or could the person be imitating this image of the quote-unquote like savage black person that you know they're being told not to be i think it's a little bit of both to be to be perfectly honest because there's this tension between this person who is like Right, like perfect perfect body. There's a pompous gait. The supercilious feet. Supercilious means that you're like acting like you're superior to others, which to me codes as being very like racially white. Like this is how white people act. Yeah. But then she also talks about like palm trees and mangoes and barbaric song, which to me are very also traditional codes back to Africa. Yeah, Africa and the way that that was traditionally talked about in Black culture at the time. So it seems like there's this, she's talking to this person who is trying so hard to imitate something, to imitate like both ends of it and is attempting to like, and I think she is trying to encourage them to just kind of like be themselves at the end, right? Like, I love your your laughter, arrogant and bold. You are too splendid for the city street. And I think that that's why it ultimately read to me like something she could either be saying to herself or to someone she knows well is it's like I'm watching you walk this tightrope between who all of these people are telling you you should be when you should just be yourself. Yeah, I read it that way, too, as like a sort of splendid thing. I just also kind of in my own narrative envisioned her watching it from afar and still having these personal thoughts and feelings because to her this person symbolized more but yeah like it it symbolized the sort of this person in my in my my narrative my headcanon like symbolized what she could be or what other people like her could be yeah (sighs) i don't know do you want to do you want to unpack more in that or do you want to move to your poem Well, no, I'm just also thinking, like, what I agree with you when I initially read this. I assumed she was talking about a man, too. But reading it back now and having read it a couple of times, she also very specifically does not code it in a way that really is masculine. Yeah, masculine or feminine. And I wondered what you thought about that and what it says about us that our assumption was like for both of us that she was potentially talking to a man or in what ways it was coded masculinely or femininely i guess you're right yeah because i i'm looking through it and i guess that you are correct there are no gendered terms and i just keep on i keep on through my like notes going he 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 i guess for me I thought that it was a man because it was somebody who is prideful. And I guess that says that I don't 
I don't assume that women stand tall very often. I don't assume that they take up space very often. And I don't assume that they own their pride very often, especially not in the 1930s. I think that's totally fair. And I think also the whole your shoulders towering high above thing could be quoted as being a masculine thing. Um, But it also could be like a tall woman. And if it is something like the way I was reading it as like the disdain coming off of white people, like, you know, there is like black bodies are sometimes taller than white bodies. So maybe that could also be. Yeah. I don't know. I just think it's interesting because this poem is simultaneously very specific and calls out specific references. But I think that there's something interesting and unique about the fact that it's the audience or the intended audience or the subject appears to be kind of vague at the same time. Yeah. I think especially because I tend to think of iambic sonnets as being... targeted in kind of the Shakespearean way, usually at like one specific person, many times in like a love sonnet. Mm-hmm. Um that's just the association I have. I am also not a poetry expert by any means. <laughs> and I know I know in general that sonnets are used in many other like contexts and ways. It's just that that as someone who has limited experience is what I mentally go to. So for I think for me it was interesting to see kind of a different take on that form in that way. Yeah. It becomes like a love sonic to 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 black bodies in general during this time who are like trying to just figure out where this identity lands. Yes, because they've been uprooted from one identity and now they exist in both. Or is it also about not necessarily not knowing who you are, but not knowing where it is safe to perform your identity and how to not just take who you are, but, like, project that out, you know? About not knowing where it's safe to project your identity? I think that could be a theme in it. I think that the subject of the poem is is projecting their identity, even though it may not be safe. Or at least that's how I originally read it. And that was part of what made them admirable. I think I read it that way as well initially. I think I'm just still getting tripped up over the line of small wonder that you're so incompetent to imitate those who you so despise. Like, that's not nice commentary, you know? Like, it makes me interested, and especially I think with the juxtaposition of that with the ending two lines, the couplet talking about the fact that, like, she seems to know who this person actually is and that they're too splendid for the city. It makes me intrigued by the disparity between how this person is acting, trying to figure out like how how they're supposed to act in some ways versus who they actually are. So you don't think that it's possible that she could be assuming familiarity or that she just sees this person as like relating heavily to this person? I think... I think that is possible, but I don't think that disrupts the point. Okay. Of like how you're acting versus how she either knows or assumes you are. Or that both of those things are possible to like exist within one person. This is just me trying to figure it out for myself. Yeah. I mean, it's a very complicated poem and I was even a little bit hesitant to pick it because 
we are two white girls and we're sorry and come at us, please, if we, uh, you know, missed something or we like to be educated. Rebelgirlsbookclub at gmail.com. But it does encompass, it encompasses a lot. It encompasses, yeah, the public and the private. And also, I think we're both touching on the fact that it encompasses shared experience. And that's what made it such a poignant poem, even to me, who doesn't have this experience. Yeah, I don't know. I do want to go back to the fact that we were assuming that I was a man. And I think that when you asked that question, it was interesting because I immediately looked back at the title. And I think that I read the word Negro as gendered for men. And I wonder what that says as well, because that's a bad, I mean, like, that's not a nice word necessarily, but it's also was a word at the time to use to encompass a certain type of people. And we often use like the word man to encompass mankind as well. And so, I don't know, I guess I read the the average, like the normal as just being masculine. And that's concerning. That was also what I ended up pulling from it on that front, because it took me a couple of reads to realize that like, actually the subject of the poem could really be anyone you know yeah and that's probably why she used that word because that word is a gender <clears throat> neutral term and it, it, it it's an all-encompassing word yeah yeah it just it's interesting there's yeah there's a lot happening here that it's hard to I don't want to say it's hard to parse it out, but usually I'm the kind of person that thinks best out loud. And I feel like whenever I'm analyzing poetry, I actually think best on paper. Me too. That's why I broke it up that way. Yeah. That's why I broke it up that way. I had a lot of other points, mostly about how we relate. Like the word barbaric to me was was interesting. And I thought that that was something... When I mentioned rap music before, you, your head thrown back in rich, barbaric song. I don't know. Even today, though, we, we, view, we view certain artists as being more about, like, sex and violence. And I feel like there's still some sort of hierarchy within, quote unquote, black culture and white culture. Where, like, there's a civilized culture and then there's a non-civilized culture. That's how it's viewed. And so mm-hmm. this poem reminded me of that and made me more aware of it. But that's still kind of going on today. And that's fucked up. Yeah, it is. That word also jumped out to me. I think also when we were talking earlier about like, I guess to a certain extent, almost like white gaze versus black gaze in this poem, yes. that word really jumped out to me as being like a white gaze sort of thing. Yeah. And 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 clearly such like a criticism and a play on on that term that white people just put on black people and still do. I also though when reading this poem, I assumed as well that like black gays could also encompass like white gays thoughts. And that's why yeah. there was so much conflict going on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like uh like you were saying earlier, like internalized hatred because of just the way society and then psyches work. Yes. Yes, thank you, Maggie. Maggie, you say things so pretty. I just kind of like <laughs> fumble. I'm like, blah, 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 blah. And you're like, yes, translation. <laughs> um. All right. Do we want to move on to the second poem? I think we do. I think we do. I think I'm ready now. 
Okay. All you, right. You can do this one, Maggie. So, uh, Harmony, I noticed that we have sponsors now. How'd that happen? We do. I've been using this website called Podcorn. It's a marketplace connecting podcasters to amazing podcast sponsorship opportunities, such as host read ads, interview segments, topical discussions, and more. Oh, cool. How do you like it? Well, as of recording this, we've obtained three sponsorships courtesy of Podcorn. I only signed up three days ago. Whoa, that's like a sponsorship a day. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And it's super easy to use. I just went on, claimed our podcast, and the site matched me with a bunch of companies looking for podcasts. I got to choose who I pitched our podcast to. That's why our sponsors have been so cool so far. Wait, though, is there some sort of agent or something that you have to go through to get these sponsors? Nope. With Podcorn, there's no middleman. Podcasters of all size can browse and choose opportunities right on the platform, set their own rates, and collaborate with brands directly without any exclusivities. But what's in it for them? Do they get any ownership over our podcast? Nope. You never give up any rights to your podcast, and Podcorn is here to support us at every step and ensure that we're protected and compensated for the work that we do for brands. So how can other podcasts find Podcorn? All right, so they can click the link in our show notes to sign up to Podcorn and start browsing sponsorship opportunities. So I chose, and actually this was a poem that Harmony was also interested in, but I chose A Missionary Brings a Young Native to America. So I mean, honestly, really, we're just dealing with inflammatory content left and right here. (laughs) You go, Helene Johnson, for not being afraid to criticize the colonialist nature of the United States. All right. All day she heard the mad stampede of feet pushed by her in a thick, unbroken haste. A thousand unknown terrors of the street caught at her timid heart, and she could taste the city of grit upon her tongue. She felt a steel-spiked wave of brick and light submerge her mind in cold immensity. A belt of alien tenets choked the songs that surged within her when alone each night she knelt at prayer. And as the moon grew large and white above the roof, afraid that she would scream aloud, her young abandoned to the night, she mumbled Latin litanies and dreamed unholy dreams while waiting for the light. Holy moly. Okay. Well, that's a lot. That's a lot, Maggie. What were your thoughts on that? I really liked this poem. I feel like Johnson, especially for 1930, was really impressively aware of the intersectionality between class and racial and gender and immigration intersectionality, whether obviously in this case that immigration was, you know, by choice or forced through slavery, which clearly I think in this poem is kind of being merged together in certain ways. Um, And I was also really moved and inspired by the use of religion in this poem, which is a like pretty diehard atheist is pretty rare for me. Um, I just, it's just such a good poem, but I guess the, I guess what I want to start with is at the end to a certain extent, because one of the questions I came away with was what does it mean to be holy and how do we see religion, especially Christianity, affect men and women differently? Which I know is like 
it's like a big question that we're not going to answer like entirely through this. It was just one of the things that this poem made me think of. Where are you getting the gendered nature of like Christianity here? I mean, not that Christianity isn't gendered because it totally is. And sometimes it's some patriarchal bullshit. But where does that come from in the poem? I saw it as like. I saw it really from the, like, unholy reference, I think, that, like, she's sitting there reading this Latin litany and she's, like, trying her best to be good. And yet, despite her best intentions in that sense, A, it doesn't make sense to her, right? She talks about that earlier in the poem. And she's looking to the moon to help her. Which is, like, a feminine figure. Yeah, and then she's still dreaming unholy things. Which is also complicated, right? Because obviously in this context, this isn't just a, like gender situation it's also about like what religions are acceptable in in this society and christianity is pretty much the only one yes okay so i have a few questions about this poem are we assuming that the subject is i mean the subject is supposed to be a young native american right it's not supposed to be someone else because it could be if we didn't have the title it could be anyone who we've colonized (laughs) No, I think it's specifically supposed to be somebody who is a native to Africa. Okay. Oh, it's a native African. That's No, it says a young native to America. Okay, I understand. All right. So, yeah, I understand what you're saying now. So it's talking about not understanding Christianity yet still finding some sort of comfort in it and like merging it with whatever spiritual spirituality she does understand but it also sounds like she's feeling guilty for that spirituality yeah that's kind of how I took it or at the very least felt I think societally pressured to attempt this version of religion and like a missionary is bringing this person to the United States right so like clearly there's some promise of salvation and all of the things that missionaries tend to preach there's a a pressure in that sense to like then at least give christianity a try you know when a missionary is the person who brings you to the united states and there's also i think a lot of criticism that ends up being put (laughs) put on women (laughs) stop licking my mouth (laughs) i'm sorry i'm losing it and my dog is trying to lick my mouth um that gets put on women specifically to make sure that you follow through with promises like that and also to um be better christians in society usually you know like men can get away with a lot and this is not talking about necessarily like black experiences with christianity so much as um general experiences that i am aware of like uh there's a stereotype of of you know the man who can go out and do anything and then he comes home but like women have to be virgins and stuff at marriage because of the bible and all of that okay so wait wait. what's your question again so your question is how the difference so because of women having to be virgins virgins whether or not we can understand christianity in the same way that men can well i was my original question was in the context of this poem what does it mean to be holy with the context of the fact that christianity tends to treat men and women differently and that this is this one in contrast to the last poem is clearly a she being referenced i think part of my confusion not just because i'm like super duper sleepy is because i'm assuming holy means different things than just like like i'm not i i heard holy and i didn't i could take christianity out of that context 
But this is, she's creating her own form of Christianity and melding her own spirituality. But I don't think it is completely holy because it causes her such distress. I think I disagree with you that I'm not sure that she is at least consciously melting the spirituality because because she seems to be trying to fit this like she seems to be trying to fit into the box of Christianity and where I get that is a belt of alien tenets choked the songs that surge within her when alone each night she knelt at prayer. So, like, she's suppressing her own spirituality in an in attempt to embrace this. I mean, I'm assuming it's Christianity with Latin, Latin litanies, you know, and the time period and missionary. Yeah, it's violent. And I'm wondering, too, if we're assuming that the subject, and it's hard to know because it's poetry, right? And because it was written in the 1930s, so maybe things were a little bit better then. Like, if the subject was willingly converting to Christianity or unwillingly. I think that's a basis where my initial question was coming from, was like, does this unholiness that she feels at the end mean guilt or like does she care about this idea that she's unholy or not or like i don't know i don't think it's open-ended you know i'm looking back at the unholiness unholy dreams while waiting for the light so yeah is the light salvation through through dreams she's mumbling latin limony litanies and dreaming in an alien tongue alien tenants yeah huh but are the dreams, are the unholy dreams, like, could the unholy dreams be her salvation? Or is that just me putting my own reflection onto it? I don't know. This poem is harder for me. That's funny. I thought that this one was easier for me. But... I also didn't analyze it as much because... Yeah, because you did the first <laughs> poem and I did this one. I think for me, something that I see here is a tension between what it means to be alien. An alien not in the sense of, like bad different in the way that i mean it but just in the sense that that's the poem that the word you that's the word that the poem uses and i think that it's purposefully implied that that in these scenarios typically right like we're looking at an immigrant coming to the united states Mm -hmm. a, a missionary has brought someone here and usually through our society's lens we would we would we'd categorize brand that we'd categorize her as an alien Yet she's the one she, in an alien territory. Yeah, and I think it's interesting that she's able to so flip everything else as being as being the alien thing, like the cities and just everything about our society in that sense is so crushing, which I think is a really, really fair description of New York City, too, like on top of all of that. And I was just really compelled by, by this idea of I think light and night as well, where it's like you're supposed to be reaching toward this light and she's trying not to be abandoned to the night. But like in actuality, what does the night what does the light and the night symbolize here? Like is it just salvation? Is it other things? Yeah, I don't know. I assumed that the light would symbolize salvation, but I'm unclear if that salvation is coming through a Christian lens or another lens. Because the moon is also, I feel like, it's not disparaged within the poem. 
She's afraid that she's going to scream at it. Allowed her young abandoned to the night. So is the moon the night? I... The moon is what's saving, it's the light that's saving her from the night, it, like saving her from the darkness. And I think that that's one of the places where the poem gets confusing because the moon is so often, I mean, it's not necessarily associated with like pagan or with Christian religion, but it's re- associated with lots of other religions as being like a, a feminine, feminine figure, but also like as the light through the that will save you through the night and stuff like that, and like a full moon will lead you through difficult times and stuff like that. And so I thought it was really interesting, like if the light at the end is a traditional Christian salvation, or if it circles back to abandoning this and going back to maybe whatever religion she had before, or maybe she's just going to fucking worship the moon now. I mean, let's all worship the moon. So then if the moon is the light that you think is textually evident, if the moon is the light, then I, would... I don't know. Oh, we don't know. I okay. don't know. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm, just, I'm just using conjecture here. I think I think that the moon is a form of light in this poem. It literally saves her from the dark. She's scared it's going to abandon her from the dark. I'm just unclear. And I think the poem is purposefully unclear about whether it is the light she's referring to at the end. Yeah. That she's like ultimately seeking. But she's afraid that she's going to scream. At the moon. I thought that the moon elicited this scream, but I didn't know. You think that it's she's screaming at the night. Yes? No, I think... Well, and as the moon grew large and white above the roof, afraid that she would scream aloud her young abandoned to the night, she mumbled Latin litanies and dreamed unholy dreams while waiting for the night. I feel like the moon was this light that like unleashed something inside of her. Like she's scared that she's going to scream out her young abandon. Right. Yeah. So like, I think that the moon is doing a lot of things there in the sense that like, it's illuminating for her, but I think it also scares her a little bit. It's implied because she doesn't seem to want to scream out her young abandon to the night. And like, what's going to happen if she does do that. So I think that's why I just have a lot of questions about, what the ultimate end goal is here at the end. Yeah. I mean, even if she isn't, even if she is, even if the subject is converting to Christianity willingly, all of the imagery given to us is violent. And I think that the implication is that it would be something else. It would be the opposite of the Christianity of this like alien world. (laughs) Damien just came home. Oh, no. You fucking piece of shit. I thought you weren't coming home tonight. Hi, Dee Dee. I'm so sorry. That's I okay. haven't seen my husband for six weeks, guys. <laughs> wow, you just scared the ever living shit out of me. Why did you just open the me door? Me too, Dee Dee. Me too. Oh my God. I was also very scared. Oh my god. Um, I'm sorry. I'm like gonna cry. Um Do you wanna go home? What were we talking? Do you wanna go? Oh, we were talking No, because if I if I go talk to him right now, I'm we're gonna have to end the podcast right here and we haven't wrapped up yet. Okay. We were talking about the moon. <laughs> I think that the moon is an escape, even if she doesn't explicitly want it to be. I think that the moon is probably what she unconsciously wants and she's consciously trying to like 
keep herself away from it, right? Like, that's why she's mumbling this prayer, essentially. Yeah. Because this is what she's told needs to happen. Yeah, or she's being violently, like, even in a literal sense, being violently forced to. But we don't, we don't know. I just, I really love her poetry. And I love that it leaves me so confused. I don't know if I'm confused because I had a rough day or like (laughs) i think she's just good i think she's just really good at putting multi-layered facets in her poems i agree and i think that um people should email us with their thoughts about helene johnson's poems which we're going to link in the show notes at rebelgirlsbookclub at gmail.com because they may have smarter or different thoughts yeah i guess i have one last question then so that i can go (laughs) But that I wanted to wrap up because I think it's important, which is this idea of like what the personal value for both of us is in not always feeling like our resistance to the patriarchy and to oppression in general has to be like a public performance where like you're publishing it and you're sharing it. Because so much of Johnson's ended up being just like private between her and her own notebook. The rumor on the street is that after she had her kid, she wrote at least one poem every single day, but she wasn't published again until she was anthologized essentially after she died. Like that was never her ultimate goal there. And I was really inspired by that because I think that a lot of times, you know, we talk, we're on podcasts talking about books that celebrate feminism. And I think that they're really important but I also think that this reminded me that, like, the your own stuff that you do for yourself is equally as valid and important as well. Yes, I agree. So our personal relationships to publishing, I think we're going to probably have different relationships because I've been trained as a journalist for the past, like, gosh, I don't know how many years, a long time at this point. And mm-hmm. so publishing is very integral to that. Um, but I do have... Like I do, when I have a big feeling, I need to write it down. And if I like it enough, I will publish it in some form. But it's not always like that. And a lot of what I write down is just kind of like random thoughts. Like, yeah, yeah, I I don't know. But I do, I do write poems. And I have even as like a teenager, when I had a big feeling, sometimes even though I'm not a poet, I will, it turns into some sort of poem. Maggie cannot help her face right now (laughs) i'm sorry what about you mad mags i think that i do have a really different relationship to it because for a long time all, all of my political and feminist thoughts were just like between me and myself or like maybe a small group of friends you know and i think that i've changed that a lot recently really in doing this podcast with harmony because now it's like It feels, and the reason I do it and the reason it's comfortable is because it feels like I'm just talking to one of my oldest friends, but like in actuality, it's much larger than that because we do publish it and it becomes to a certain extent a piece of just like performative identity, which is good for me and I think was a necessary step that I needed to take. But I will say that I think personally for the most profound feelings and ideas that I end up having having about big and important topics happen just within me myself and I first and they don't always see the light of day and I think that that's the part where I don't know how I feel about it but Helene Johnson clearly didn't care like she had lovely big beautiful thoughts all the time and it was just like cool with her to have them for herself and I think that that's kind of empowering too is to like be reminded that well it's really important to 
stand up for what you believe in and who you believe in and those who are disenfranchised it's also okay to just have like thoughts that are for you even if they're about the larger world you know i agree even as someone who's like pro sharing my thoughts for the most part i like i agree and i think it's impossible like we can't publish every single thought that we have and sometimes it is too personal sometimes we do want it to just be for ourselves Mm -hmm. yeah i don't know okay um okay i'm i'm gonna go kiss my husband now sorry guys (laughs) yeah harmony should go to sleep what are we what are we talking about next week i don't even know oh it's the beginning of graphic novels week are we talking about saga uh yes we're talking about saga which i have not read yet and i really need to read i need to finish the prince and the dressmaker and write notes so i can return it to the library okay fabulous (laughs) everyone have fun read some poetry that's your homework read some write some poetry you don't have to share it. If you want to share it, you can email it to us at rebelgirlsbookclub at gmail.com. Rate us and we'll send you a fucking sticker. Please just do it. Yes. Okay. We're going to go to bed and, and kiss our husbands, I guess. Or Maggie's going to kiss her husband and I'm going to go to bed. Good night. <laughs> Bye. You can follow us at Rebel Girls Book Club on Instagram, at Rebel Girls Book Club on Facebook, at Rebel Girls Book One on Twitter, and you can email us at rebelgirlsbookclub at gmail.com. Our theme song is called Pretty Boys Make Me Feel Ugly, and it's by The Days. See you soon, and remember to read rebelliously.